Well, the Lord be with you. And good morning, redeeming grace. It is a joy to be with you this morning. It is a joy to see you, as I've, uh, for several years now, I've had the joy of getting to know your pastor, John, and uh, have heard a great many things about you. It's a delight to be with you this morning. And not only to be with you, but to be able to preach God's word and to deliver uh, the sermon this morning. Before we do so, though, I have to confess something to you. So this morning, I'm um, getting ready and having sort of a uh, leisurely time at my home, just preparing and prayer and getting ready to meet with you all eagerly. And it's about 9.02. I get a call on my cell phone. I look at it and it says, John Dietrich. I said, huh. I answer the call, and in in the calmest, most humble, gracious voice, John says, Hey, Josh, uh, do you know what time our service begins on Sunday? I said, 1030, right? He said, No, no. We begin at 9 o'clock. So I said a quick prayer, Lord, help me, forgive me for the the sins I'm about to commit on the road this morning. no laws were broken. All, all red lights were observed. Um, but uh, I do embarrassingly have to apologize for that. I did desire to be with you earlier and not to be that guy that just sort of blows in and speaks and then blows out. And so um, I do look forward to meeting you uh, after the service, uh, unfortunately, as I was not able to do so before the service. So good to be with you this morning. As John mentioned, I have the glorious privilege of serving uh, a wondrous, wonderful church just, just up the road from you, King of Kings, Presbyterian, and have had the privilege of, of that for the last four years, really the delight of my pastoral ministry. And uh, I know several of you may know folks from our congregation, and uh, I know through the relationship with John, you, you pray for us, we pray for you, and so what a joy it is to be here with you this morning. Uh, King of Kings begins at 10 o'clock, so... <laughs> They have another 15 minutes before their service starts. Well, if you would, can you stand? Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. We are in Colossians, and the text I'm going to preach is uh, really what is kind of the, uh, I would argue, the highlight text of this letter of Paul to the church in Colossae. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And before I read, let me offer a prayer of illumination not only over the reading of God's word, but also as you hear God's word and also as the God's word is preached to us. So would you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, through your word, O oh God, O oh Holy Spirit, bring us closer to our Savior. And in response, triune God, prompt our hearts to offer you sincere thanks for our salvation. We pray this in the strong the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, the Christ, our Messiah, our King of kings, and our Lord of lords. We pray this. Amen. Let us hear what God is saying to the church through his word. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted And built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. So as I mentioned before, this passage of Scripture is, um, this is really sort of the heart of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, this book of the Bible that we call Colossians. He's built up to this point, and he's going to continue to develop the implications of this as he goes into the rest of his letter. Thus far, Paul has gone to great lengths to communicate his love and his prayer for this dear church. He's deeply concerned for her. He desires her continued faithfulness. You hear this in his letter. In our passage for today, he centers the focus of the church on their daily lives, their practices, their habits, and he instructs them in this way to walk in Christ. I want you to think about those three words in the contours of the sermon, walk in Christ. He wants them to make diligent use of all the energy that God gives them to nourish their faith, to ground them in grace, and to make them overflow, as we will see in this passage, with gratitude, with thanksgiving. A couple questions for us as we begin this sermon that I'd like you to think about in light of this text. To consider, Christian, your life. Here's a couple questions. How do you view the habits of your life? How do you view the habits of your life? How intentional are you as you consider your routine, your practices? Think of these questions as we lay hold of this text, um, or rather as this text lays hold of us this morning. Consider these questions. Our, Our practices have a unique way of showing our faith, do they not? And our faith in Christ is either nourished or neglected by the habits of life that we develop. And this is no small matter that that Paul is addressing to this church. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, how did the church in Colossae receive Christ Jesus? Well, this is building on something that Paul has previously said. Let me remind us this morning, if you haven't read this letter uh, in recent weeks or months, What he says in chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. This church had received the good news of Jesus Christ. They had heard it. They had understood it. They had learned it. So Paul directs their attention to this pivotal place in his letter, to their continual and regular actions of life, their habits, their practices, their routines, and the deep significance of this for them as a church. And I want us today as Christians to consider those very things. So in order to emphasize this, he gives them four unique metaphors. And as we go through this sermon, these four unique metaphors that Paul delivers will essentially be the the points of the sermon today. We'll go through them one by one, teasing out sort of the implications of each of these four metaphors that Paul gives. And so the first one is this. If you're taking notes, if you're a note-taking person, you could just write this down. Number one, 
rooted like an old tree, rooted like an old tree. This first metaphor Paul gives us is agricultural. I grew up in the uh, the, the cornfields of Iowa, uh, farming community. The agricultural metaphors really resonate with me from, from my experience growing up. Some of you, that's not your context, but we understand nonetheless the significance of an agricultural metaphor. Organic growth, the significance of a strong root system. He says that we should be, as a church, rooted like an old tree. There's a picture of the church, as it were, as an old tree whose roots go down deep into the earth where, as a tree does, it receives its nourishment and stability for its growth. This is a vivid picture of the church who who is rooted in, in who? Who is rooted in Christ. Who is, in, who is rooted in what Christ has provided her, in what Christ has accomplished for her. These are the roots of the church. Let me just say this. When you, Christian, when you send the roots of your life down into anything other than Christ, you're dealing with a shallow root system. You're, you're entering into a precarious place. We know this to be true in Phoenix, do we not? Every uh, year we come to this great monsoon season where we receive high winds and, and usually rain. This year, we lacked the rain that we desperately needed, but we receive high winds. And what do we see as a result of these high winds? Trees with shallow roots do what? You see them all over the malls and everything. Those, especially those Palo Verde trees seem to be susceptible to this, right? They just blow over. Their root system being shallow, they don't have the stability of strength to hold fast when the winds come. And they blow over. So it is with those whose lives. Think about your life. If it is rooted in fleeting pleasure... If it is rooted in carnal appetites, if it is rooted in that which displeases God, even I would say if it's rooted in those good gifts that God provides that you've somehow mangled into an idol in your life, if the roots of your life go down into any other than Christ, you're talking about a shallow root system and trees with shallow roots. they may look great. <laughs> they may actually impress you a great deal. I've known a great deal of Palo Verde trees that are beautiful. But if they have shallow roots, when the storm comes, their weakness is evident. So Paul says, be rooted like an old tree first. Second metaphor that he brings to us is an architectural metaphor. He tells the church to be built up in him, in Christ. And this reveals our second point, which I would just word this way. Built up like a large building. Built up like a large or a tall building. This is a sort of a general rule of architecture. The taller the building, the deeper and more substantial the foundation needs to be in order to support 
the, the height of that building. For a number of years, I lived in Minneapolis. And during my time in Minneapolis, I, I would go downtown frequently. And at one point, they had a whole block sectioned off, fenced off, but you could see through the fencing. And I remember for months walking by and just going, what, what are they doing? They just seem to be digging down and down and down and down. And they, they did this for what seemed like months, uh, if not many, many weeks. And, and then all of a sudden, I came back one time and there was five stories of a building built and then more and then more and then more. And the significance of that was they needed to spend a lot of time preparing the ground getting, you know, the, the foundation ready for what would be a tall building. When you consider this metaphor, I want you to consider what Paul's saying to this church by way of the tradition that they have received. I want you to think of the tradition that you have received and how it's described. In Ephesians 2, uh, again, Paul speaks in a different letter to a foundation, right? We're familiar with this. The foundation of what? Of the apostles, their teaching, whose cornerstone, who, who, who sets the dynamic, the trajectory, the essence of everything of the building. This cornerstone is Christ himself. You, Christian, whose faith and trust is upon the finished and completed work of Christ, this is your foundation. Christ is your cornerstone. And when you consider this building, we, we realize that we sit, we sit 2,000 or so years, uh, roughly 2,000 years, maybe a little under, from when, Christ wrote, or from when Paul wrote this letter. We sit with a wealth of church, if you will, underneath us. And we have received great benefit from this when you consider the gift that God has given to each subsequent generation of those faithful saints that have gone before. Some of them articulating doctrinal truth. Some of them testifying to the gospel with their very lives and their, their blood being shed. Know this. You, you are not an island in 2023. <laughs> You're a part of a large building. And, and we look beneath us with great gratitude for what God has done, that he's been faithful to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We should have increasing gratitude, as it were, each, each decade, each generation, as God continues to do this. Too often, we imagine ourselves to have sort of this kind of, you know, unmediated connection to the foundation. But we really, we really connect through the body that Christ has provided, the church. Um, this is important for us to remember, especially, you know, this is not going to be news to any of you in the room, but those very impacted by the Reformation. This moment uh, 500 years ago, pivotal moment in church history. It is important for us to remember that the that our tradition is not just 500 years old. It, it goes all the way back to Christ and the apostles. Paul tells the Colossians to consider what they've received. He says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. This speaks to 
this tradition they've been handed, the tradition of Christ that others have shared with them. For the Colossian church, he even mentions by name a significant person in chapter 1, Epaphras. He says to them, look at this brother who shared with you the good news, who taught you the faith. Be thankful for him. For us today, those names are numerous and many. You know, I I was thinking through uh, just who we may mention. We may think Machen or Calvin or Luther or Aquinas or Augustine or Irenaeus or Polycarp. I mean, you just, you go through the line and we have so many that have given shape that God has used, that he has worked through in his grace. We stand in a long line of saints who have gone before us and who God has chosen to use to build his church throughout the ages. And Paul is asking and speaking to the Colossian church to consider the significance of this. He tells them, realize how dependent you are on others. Don't think that you're you're an island unto yourself. Don't think that you are somehow separated off. No, 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 no. You are dependent upon others in this way. This is interesting because for most of most of history, this would not what I'm saying would not be in any way controversial. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's controversial to you this morning. But we, we live in a context that is highly individualized. And the, the church sometimes tends to think about herself, and I would even atomize that down to a particular Christian. We tend to think in very individualistic ways, and we lose the sense of the, the, the church throughout the ages that God has developed and built that we are able to benefit from and that we really do, in many ways, depend upon. Our age tells us to grab a hold of the new, the young, the shiny very quickly. And I think the church in this way is able to be a counterpoint to our culture. To say, no, there's, there's a value to holding on to things. To holding fast to those things that have come down by Christ's faithfulness through the ages. So, established like a large building. Built up like a large building. Third point and the third metaphor Paul uses is a a legal metaphor. It's judicial. And the third point is simply this. Established like a binding document. Paul says the church is established like a binding document in their faith. There's a, a finality to God's judgments. There's a surety to God's promises that we find our strength in. There's a question of assurance that often plagues the Christian. I wonder if it's plagued you. How do I know that I am saved? An assurance of of grace and salvation. There certainly are uh, uh, some who have what I would say is a false assurance. They're not circumspect about their lives but they rather, they presume themselves upon God. They're like the false prophets of old, those prophets that Micah, the Lord spoke through him, where they would sort of say, no disaster is going to come upon us. No disaster can befall us. 
They believe that because of their, their connections, they believe that because of their lineage, they believe that because of their intelligence, that somehow that will cause them to be able to flee the wrath to come. Remember John the Baptist's words, where he calls them a brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee to the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he says. There is, a, there is a false assurance that I think some can have where they presume themselves upon God. But there are Christians who do earnestly struggle with an assurance of grace and salvation. For some, some Christians even, they've been told to follow their feelings or follow the big moments of their life or to seek after signs and wonders. And we certainly see in the broader church, uh, I'll just say it this way, sort of charlatans come peddling all sorts of things, prosperity preachers, false teachers of all various kinds, who seek to woo people into believing fanciful things. But this is not where God has directed us to look. This is not where Paul is directing us to look, even in this passage this morning. Paul says simply to the church in Colossae, So walk in him. What ordinary language. (laughs) So walk in him. So oftentimes faithfulness in the Christian life is, is very ordinary. It's very ordinary. The apostle Peter He says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. He speaks to us. He he wants us to seek this. But this is not done through extraordinary means of mountaintop experiences or chasing sensational feelings or looking for, you know, supernatural indicators or trying to read the tea leaves of prediction or anything like this. No, we are to... Make use of those ordinary means that God has provided to his church, that in love he has given to his church to grow us, to nourish us, and to show us himself. Namely, the preaching of his word, of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and of prayer. See, Paul tells the Colossian church, He says, established in the faith, just as you were taught. You hear this hearkening back. Go back to those things that you were taught. There's no magic. There's no talisman. There's no shortcut. There's no good luck charm we're to seek. The resurrected Christ has given to his church precisely what she needs. We see this in this third metaphor. And then fourth and finally, the metaphor Paul uses, he speaks of abounding, this picture of a cup that is flowing over. He says to the church that they are to be abounding in thanksgiving. Their gratitude must pour over the edges of their life. That's sort of this picture that we see, a cup that's running over. And this final point, I want us to consider that this is part of what Paul is telling this church to do. He's speaking to this church in this letter. He's telling them to do something. This is part of instruction to them, and they are called to obey it. 
I think this is a good reminder for us that, that obedience to Christ is something that the Christian is able to do. Have you thought about this, Christian? That, that obe- obedience to Christ, following after him, is something that you are able to do. This is a glorious gift to you as a human being, redeemed through his blood. Because Christ died, because he purchased us for himself, we who trust in him, we cling to him by faith, and we walk in a newness of life, Paul says. I like Paul's words to the church in Rome, that because of the death and resurrection of Christ, he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to what? Dead to sin and alive to what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, being alive to God in Christ means that we will seek after that which pleases him. We will diligently put our energy toward obeying all that he has commanded. Setting down nothing of what he has told us, but taking it all up. Following after him with all the strength that he provides. You hear the Colossians, they're told to abound in thanksgiving. There's a question here, perhaps, for you. How do you abound in thanksgiving, Christian? What, what does this look like for you? Is this a practice and a habit that is being cultivated? For some, this is a natural thing. For others, it's, a, it's something that you work to develop. But we all, as Christians, are called here to cultivate this in our lives. This is part of what it means, Paul says, to walk in him. To walk in him. So what do we we make of all this by way of application? Where are you today, redeeming grace? As you think about your, your walking by faith as a Christian, as you consider your habits of life, the patterns that you see there, the routine, the order that you see there, what do you see? We speak to maybe a few trajectories of this text and where it may hit you. Some of you this morning may simply be weary and tired. Perhaps you've, you've learned to depend on yourself um, and you really struggle to allow others to bear burdens. You sit here and you say, yeah, that's, that's me. I want you to know that the risen Christ has given you a glorious gift in the church. He's given you a wondrous gift. And Paul here, the implication of that, walking in Christ. I want you to think that when Christ calls you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you, Realize this, that he has also surrounded you with his body, the church. He has given you a glorious gift that he doesn't call us to just muscle up and pretend like everything is okay with those who know us closely. But from Christian to Christian, in the love of Christ, to confess our weaknesses, our weariness, our tiredness even. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps some of you here 
you'd sit and you'd say, I really struggle with the ordinary in my life. Could be the way you grew up or a result of, um, you know, living in sort of an entertainment culture where we feel like we have to get dopamine kicks every 30 seconds, you know? You've learned to take your cues from your feelings. You like to, to sort of chase after things that excite you. There is in this text, I think, a, a, I'll say it this way, a soft rebuke toward you this morning. Not a harsh one. It's not a sharp one. But it's there. There's an aspect to faith and trust in Christ that must permeate through the thick and thin of your life. There will be times when you feel like you are on the mountaintop and times when you feel you're in the the depths of the valley. But in all this, Christ, your Savior, he holds you through all this. Do you know this? He invites you in this text here in Colossians 2, he invites you to walk in him in those moments where you want to run, you want to jog. He says, no, 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 no. Walk with me. Learn what it means to walk with me, O Christian. Finally, some of you may be particularly given over to your sin here, even even here, even within the walls of a church building, as you've come to gather for worship, you recognize as you look and examine and as rather God examines your life, you see that you are given over to a particular sin. There's a, there's a bondage there that you can see right now. You've grown used to disobedience in your life. Boundaries that you once thought you'd never cross have now become routine for you. There's a warning here for you, Christian. There's a warning here for you. God, in his love and his word, he delivers to us glorious promises. This is what I've done. This is what I will do. He delivers to us righteous commands. Follow after me. Do not turn away from me. And God, because he loves you and cares for you, he delivers to you warnings. Like a father warning his son or daughter. Do you hear the warning here today? Christian who may be given over to their sin. I call you, I plead with you to hear what Paul is saying. Hear the soberness of this warning. Return to what you have been taught. Return to the Christ that you have received. Repent of your sin and experience forgiveness. Experience grace. Experience the love of your Savior. Redeeming grace, we've been given in the gospel the most marvelous news, the most glorious news that the holy and righteous God, the creator and sustainer of all things, he has 
redeemed a people for himself from the sinful lot of humanity. That Christ came, that Christ took on flesh, that he not only dwelt with us, not only did he experience and and was he exposed to all those outward temptations, yet was without sin, but Christ went obediently towards suffering. He went obediently towards the cross, and there he died a criminal's death. The innocent one dying for real criminals, you and I, who have rebelled against God. Christ gave himself up for us. The one who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What marvelous good news this is. And our crucified Savior, he truly died. He was buried. Our creeds tell us. And on the third day, he rose again to new life. There we we see our justification. We know that he is now ascended to heaven. And where is he now? But he is seated at God the Father's right hand. And he is ruling and he is reigning and he is interceding even over his church. And we look forward to the day of his glorious return. A redeeming grace, hear this this morning. This is Christ. This is our faith. This is our life. And so let me read our passage one more time as we close. So Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray for the success of God's word in our hearts and lives. Would you join me in prayer? O gracious Heavenly Father, examine us by the truth and power of your word that our lives may bear the fruit of your spirit to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we give you thanks that you are patient with us, that you are kind toward us. Help us, O oh God, to not presume ourselves sort of upon you, but may we take each and every opportunity to turn to you, each and every opportunity to look and to see your works of grace in our hearts and lives and in the contours of the depths of who we are, and may we rejoice in all that you do. Lord, encourage us in this way as your church. Fill us, O oh Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And Father, I also pray and ask, just as each text examines us in our hearts and lives, that this text would 
bear down upon us as your people, that you would chisel and shape and mold and utilize, Lord, and within the contours of our lives, this text so that we may be faithful followers of Jesus, so that we may even turn from our sin, that we may repent of those things, and that we may turn to you for newness of life. Lord, help us to see this. Help us even experientially to know this as we do indeed walk with you. Help us to learn how to walk with you, O Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.